0: Well good morning friends. Welcome to Canterbury Gardens Community Church. My name is Shabu. I have the great privilege of being one of the pastors here at Canterbury. I nearly <laughs> forgot where I was. Thanks for taking the time to join us, particularly if you're visiting our YouTube channel for the very first time. Uh, it's so awesome that you're taking the time to check us out. And if, if you're someone who's sceptical to the Christian faith, doubtful, wherever you are, we pray that God will reveal more of himself to you. Church family, we deeply miss you and we are praying for you often as a leadership team. It's been a great joy to connect with many of you through morning tea or various other ways and it's a joy to hear as well how you're caring and loving one another. We, we as a church began a series in the book of Ezra and we were unpacking and revealing that God is the one who stirs, The God whose word is true will achieve his purposes that this God of the Bible is the God who His amazing and his steadfast love endures forever. We were reminded that God is at work even in the midst of opposition and it doesn't look like much going on. God is still at work to complete his work. We are reminded that God's hand at work means that we are called to step out with him to join him in his work, good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. And this morning, we come to the moment in Ezra, we finally get to meet Ezra. I know, it's only taken us up to seven chapters. And what we've been hearing previously is, in a sense, the overview of God at work in the midst of the various seasons in the people of Israel, in the many years. And now we meet Ezra. So have a look with me in Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. Here is God's word. Now, after this, in the reign of Actasces, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Zariah, son of Azariah, son of Hekiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Achlub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meroetah, son of Zaniah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, that's my favorite one, son of Abusha, son of Phenis, son of Elzerah, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked. For The hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. Friends, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you that your word is alive. And right now, this morning, whoever we are, wherever we are, would you reveal more of yourself to us? Oh Lord, would you change our hearts this morning? Holy Spirit, would you make these words from the Word come alive? And Lord Jesus, I pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you for your glorious and mighty name. Amen. This term that we see uh, in chapter 7 and 8 is a significant term. And what I want us to consider this morning in chapter 7 and chapter 8 is the hand of God. Now, talking about hands, here is my hands. Short, stumpy, little hands. And most of my trading mates say very supple and soft hands, apparently. So unlike my trading mates who have calluses and rough, and, and you can tell they've been doing a lot of work, unlike me, just typing away, Hands are a significant part in our lives, aren't they? Uh, hands can actually be used for great good and also bad. And Particularly if you have little ones, you might understand what I'm talking about. Uh, hands can be used to work in the garden if you don't use gloves. Uh, hands can reveal a person's age. It can reveal how strong they are by their handshake or how weak they are. Hands also bring back memories. I remember the very first time holding my wife's hand as we walked down the aisle as mr and mrs john i remember holding my little ones when they were born and their little hands i also remember and seeing friends who held the loved ones hands as they passed into glory or that moment when you shake someone's hand sorry that feels a bit novel these days doesn't it but that's a significant moment when we shake people's hands But this idea of the hand of God, it sounds very foreign. It sounds a bit weird and strange. I've got to be honest, when I heard or read the term the hand of God, the first two images that came to mind was firstly, Diego Maradona. Many of you probably might not know who he is, but growing up, I do remember this guy. And the reason why the hand of God phrase came to mind was it was that infamous goal between Argentina and England where they got that goal. And you can Google that and find out what that's about. The other one was this image, Thanos. You know, the guy from the X-Men movie. Ah, just kidding. I know all the Avenger fans are yelling at this TV screen now. No, that's, that's not what this is about, the hand of God, by the way. Yeah, hopefully that image is off the screen now. We need to understand the hand of God language has significance in the Bible. See, for the, for the people of Israel, the hand of God was connected with the relationship that they have with him. It displays his character and the relationship they have with him. It displays his love. It displays both his care and his um, protection. It displays also his loving discipline and also displays his rescue. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah would say words like this, And the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And again, the prophet Isaiah would write, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, You are my servant, I've chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous hand. And even last week or a few weeks back when Cam was sharing that this idea of the hand of God, even being in the midst of moving the king's heart, and even in the seasons of opposition to ultimately achieve God's purposes now we're seeing the hand of god on a specific person Ezra who is Ezra well what we have for us in chapter 7 and 8 is this that he is a priest now once again imagery i straight away thought about the princess bride some of you might think of the priest that you if you grew up in a religious kind of background you might have you know particular images in the Old Testament, in particular, the priests had a significant role. The priesthood represented the nation's relationship with God. And there was a political line, the Levitical line. So the, the, the priests ministered, they did so as representatives of the people. And by the time, in the Persian period, the chief priests and the political leaders were removed. And what we're seeing in Ezra, and particularly in the book of Nehemiah as well, this is like a reformation going on. And these things are now being put back into place. These people had a significant role because they represented the whole people to God. Now, Ezra was born most probably in Babylon. He was born definitely to a priestly family and all those names I just read to you or had a go at reading, should I say, uh, has a purpose. It's to show that it's showing his heritage. He comes from a lineage of priests going all the way back to Aaron, the big chief priest, the brother to Moses. He was also a scribe. Now, a scribe was someone who actually wrote down the books of the law. So this person was educated, well-skilled, Uh, And they were also very skilled at expounding the law. In a sense, they knew exactly what this Bible, the Old Testament, in particular scriptures of the Torah, had to say. They had a significant role. Not only did they write it out, they had to teach it. They were expounders. They knew it really well. They knew and they were very good at speaking it. Now, you hear another term called the law of Moses. What does that mean? What, what, yeah, it is the first five books of the Bible. What, what significance does that have, have for those who are listening or reading it for the first time, like people like Ezra, and particularly in that time? Well, friends, I just want to have a bit of a commercial break, and it doesn't mean you run off to the toilet if you need to, uh, but I am invited a friend of mine. His name is Ellie and, Shosh- and his wife Shoshana, and, and their kids live in Tel Aviv in Israel. Uh, they've planted a church in Tel Aviv reaching uh, Jewish uh, people with the good news of the gospel and I reached out to him and said hey it'd be really cool to hear from you What does these kind of language mean and what does it stir in your mind from your perspective? So here's a little video that he did for us check it out.
1: Hi, my name is Eli Burbaum. I um, Serve in Israel. I'm a church planter here in Tel Aviv um, We have a church that meets uh, in a neighborhood called Florentine and we gather Saturday evenings and we're uh, our goal is to be an urban community in this neighborhood, which is full of art. Right behind right, us, you see there's um, some art from a sketch class we have in this space, uh, where we engage uh, people and allow artists to express themselves, but also get to share with them about their hope in Jesus. You know, most people in Israel have really never met another Jewish person that believes in Jesus, and um, they've never been to a church building or a church service. So our even though people may be secular, and they, they're very uh, reluctant to come into the space. And so we try kind to of create spaces where people can comfortably come and see and meet Jewish people uh, that believe in Jesus and others, also non Jewish people, that there's not that many here. Um, and we're Hebrew speaking, and that's how we do our services. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to come and share with you, uh, with Shabu, who invited me. We spent time together in New York, and he's been a blessing to me during our time there and an encouragement. And I'm happy to see. God is doing in your church. Uh, so, today, some historical background about the book of Ezra. Uh, I'm not a scholar, but I guess because uh, the context of Ezra and Nehemiah is such a, a deep context to uh, really the big split that happens in the people of Israel, because following Ezra and Nehemiah, the Messiah will come. And during this time of Ezra and Nehemiah, it comes after Cyrus calls people of Israel to return to Jerusalem to build that temple. Now as they build that temple, they don't have the riches of Solomon, they don't have all the, um, you know, that successful thing, and and often it is said that this temple was not like the temple of Solomon, and that brought great distress on the people of Israel. Ezra was the, the one who sent, who went with the people, um, who helped them, uh, kind of, he was one of their leaders in building it. And later Nehemiah comes along, and the book of Nehemiah, Ezra, and is about this struggle. First, they build that temple, but building the temple isn't enough to change and purify the people. And so Ezra is constantly challenging because uh, the people of Israel have not been a purified, set apart nation as they were supposed to be, often marrying into other nations. And when marrying into other nations, it means that they married into pagan worship and uh, they aren't following God. And Ezra is is trying to help, along later with Nehemiah, to help the nation of Israel become the nation they were called to be, a set-apart nation that worship God, because that is a nation that is promised that God will bring his Savior through that nation. So Ezra actually is part of that tradition, Um, often called as the forefather of the tradition, of of the Judaism we even see today, where there's a lot of purity, a lot of setting apart. Um, And I think it's an important lesson for us because on one hand, you can uh, consistently set yourself apart so much that you can't see Jesus. And that's actually what happens to many of the Jews. They become so set apart for the nations, they weren't able to see their own sin and their own failure. And when Jesus comes along and he talks about their sin and the need to forgiveness, they can't see it. But on the other hand, a nation, like many of the people of Israel at that time, can become so ingrained with the people around us and around their doing and not being called out to be set apart, that they really don't make a difference and that they really haven't anything to give to the rounding about them. And that faith in in God and Jesus isn't just a, a philosophy or an idea, but it's something that sets us apart and makes us a holy nation. So Ezra's struggling with that thing, struggling with rebuilding, and uh, it's a real struggle until we see our king come back once again.
0: Well, friends, I hope that was uh, interesting and encouraging to you. I know it was for me. And so this is who Ezra is. It gives you a bit of a picture of what, uh, what, who he is as a person. And then we finally come to the scene of the story to understand that this is during the period of Emperor Arixtasis so it's a different king than when we first met now Ezra's name means help and he's going to be a significant person in the book of Ezra obviously but he has a role and he worked closely with Nehemiah and you can read about that in Nehemiah and he was a post-exilic Jew who would be once now being used by God to help his people to focus back on God as his namesake means to help his people to turn back to God. But we need to consider a couple of things as we look at the life of Ezra is to understand that the hand of the Lord was on him. And this hand not only was on him, actually shaped him. God's hand shaped all of Ezra's thoughts and directions and decisions. And we've got to remember from chapter 6 to 7, it's not really shown in front of us, there was most likely anywhere between 57 or 60 years after the temple dedication that is a long time isn't it and if you're like me you might be thinking well, what was Ezra up to in that time well details aren't given in these passages but what we do know most likely and this is the truth in the midst of all this it's all about God's timing and it's all about God's way the timing is perfect it's God's timing in his time the way he moves is his way and just to remember that Ezra wasn't just some everyday person right like I was saying who he is the position that he's in, I think God's hand is in that for sure, preparing him for the task that is at hand. Even if it's after sixty years on. This man is now well versed with the Torah. And yet it would have been a significant role in the kingdom of Persia. And this is why he could have access to the king. We've got to remember, why is this all possible? Did you see that in Ezra 7? Was it because he was a great networker? Was it because he was just part of the Levitical line? Maybe it was because of his ability to scribe. You know, he's a great scribe. It wasn't, is it because of his own strength? Is it because of the intelligence that he has or the connections and networks he has? No, friends. Did you see that in Ezra 7? The hand of the Lord his God was on him. Friends, in this moment in biblical history is to remind you and I, if God's hand is on a person or even in a situation, it is a beautiful truth that reminds us that God will do his purpose, his will, in his timing, his way. And it's a beautiful picture that his hand shows that he is in control. And this is a beautiful assurance for those of us who know God that God's hand is in control. He's right in the midst of this, even in history today. And that should bring us great assurance and hope. I hope it does. But not only that, as much as God's hand is in the people of Israel, God's hand is in the life of Ezra. It shows a personal relationship there. So if you know God, do you know that God's hand is on you? to work out through you for his purpose, for his glory. Not just post-lockdown, God's hand is on you today, now, right now. And friends, if you don't know who God is, I need you to know that there's a significant difference now. If you do not know God, ultimately what you're doing is saying, I don't want God's hand on me. I will take care control of it myself, my life, my way. The question I have for you, how's that going? Our prayer is God's hand will direct you even more further to him. So in the opening verses, we, we were shown that God's hand moves Ezra to approach the king. And the answer from the king is a yes. And that's a significant answer, by the way, for someone who doesn't believe in the God of uh, Ezra. And the, the king grants him all that he asks. That's amazing. But notice the beautiful note in there. Why? Because God's hand was on him. And this is why Ezra testifies this in chapter 7, right? In verses 27 to 28. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such things as this into the heart of the king, to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And he. And who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his council and before all the king's mighty officers? I took courage. Why? For the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. There's a personal statement there by Ezra. See, when God's hand is on a person for his purposes, it will happen. But it's not like a guarantee that everything will go fine. It's a reminder, though, that when God's hand is on a person, and particularly in Ezra, there's something much more deeper going on. God's hand is ultimately to draw people, ultimately, constantly back to Him, to a posture of dependence on Him, with the assurance that God's hand is with them. But it could also come with a lot of weight. You know, when we read these kind of passages, it's easy for us to kind of gloss over. But humanly speaking, this is a significant thing to be on Ezra's shoulders. Yet we see how God's hand directs him to where it all begins, where it must begin, what he must come back to. Did you see that? Verses 9 to 10. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from and On the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statues and rules in Israel. See, the hand of the Lord God is on Ezra, but not only move him towards Jerusalem, but actually to move him towards to his word. And when we talk about the book here, the Torah, it's the first five books of the Old Testament, God's hand moves this scribe to set his heart, or another way to put it, to all of his very being, to be devoted, to study the word of God, but not only that, to apply that to every aspect of his life. Uh, The biblical language of heart is significant. Uh, In our day and age, we probably don't use it as much, and if we do, it's probably a bit fluffy. Uh, This idea is that it's not just an intellectual thing. It's actually his whole being, and every aspect of him is shaped by the Word of God. It's like saying Ezra is not just doing this so that he can get those gold stars whenever he recites the verses. No, it's like saying Ezra loved the Scriptures. His love for the Scriptures moved him to examine it in detail So Ezra going to Jerusalem is not just to kind of get a better life for himself or anything. No, far from that. He's going back because he wants the people to return to a way of life that marks them and shapes them to say that they belong to God based on the very words of God. That was a big call for the people of Israel. That's what God called them out from, to to be a people that are different from the nations around them, marked by their life. And the motivation for Ezra to study God's word and to teach God's word is not sort of an obligation, that's his job alone. It's not even out of arrogance or pride, but because his very heart was captured by the hand of God that unveiled his eyes to the word of God to shape his life to serve the people of God. Friends, those of us who know God... And in this moment when we talk about the Bible and the Word and, you know, I'm a pastor of a church and, you know, you automatically, and I know for me, I've been there where we go, okay, here we go. This is the bit where he says, read the Bible more. Just read the Bible more. Just keep on reading the Bible. Come on, how's your quiet times going? How's your memorization of scripture? How, are you reading? Are you listening? Are you singing the Bible? And don't get me wrong. Those are good, wonderful things that we should be doing. But you know, we can be the most Bible-centered people and we can totally miss God. And you see that in the New Testament in the scribes and the law people who abided to to the rules and they totally missed who Jesus is. See, what we notice in the two things in Ezra in this moment though, his heart was set to the word of God. It's a beautiful way of saying to understand and value what the word of God actually means. It's meaning that our hearts, our very beings, need to be captured by who the word of God reveals. Not Ezra. God himself. See, if you take God out of the Bible... It's just a historical book with lots of rules and regulations, amazing stories. And friends, you know, in our day and age more than ever, I think it's the reality that has not changed since the as old as the garden, where the word of God is constantly being tested and challenged and questioned in a way that's calling people to ultimately move their hearts away, to ultimately worship something, or someone else this war comes in many subtle ways you know we hear it often i oh, see the bible it's irrelevant it's archaic you know it's fake it's not real oh you know yeah yeah we should study the bible and yes i will study the bible I'll memorize all these things but there's no connection with the author of the word god himself so you know i could read the word of god but we can so miss And in a sense, it's the very hand of God penning through people his heart and his desires so that people, both his people and the nations, will discover what? The Bible? No, the author of the Bible. And this is what Ezra is committed to. His heart is committed to this, to study it, to know it, To live out its truths because of who he's gripped by, by God. The God whose steadfast love was extended to him. Friends, that's a thing that we need to ponder and consider and say, does that mark us as a people if you know God? Ezra was captured. As he studied the word of God, he was captured by this steadfast love of God, this covenant love of God that gave him the courage to step into the work that God was leading him to. And now in chapter 8, we see what that looks like. What we're seeing is when the hand of God leads Ezra to the word of God to live for the purposes of God. In chapter eight, we have a genealogy again of the people who return with Ezra. You have these verse, these words in verses 21 to 23. Have a look with me. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahavaiah, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him a safe journey from ourselves, for ourselves, sorry, our children and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen. To protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this. And he listened to our entreaty. Uh, what we're seeing, friends, in this moment, Ezra is moved by God's hand for his purpose, to God's word, and his heart is set on knowing, not only knowing God's word, now not only teaching it. I think there's a faith growing in this moment. That's what's been displayed in front of us. He's not only knowing God, he's actually now, his life is being shaped by God's word. Now, I want you to imagine the journey that's ahead of them is a significant journey. Uh, historians say it's about 1,000 miles, or well, Google this, by the way, 1,609 kilometers. That's a big journey for the danger I mean, this guy and his team would have been target for the bandits. They don't have any armies or swords. They're carrying some significant loot and gold. You know what, though? Ezra could call to the king and say, can you please provide for us some protection? But he knows. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed. But he knows there's there's a promise. He said, this is who our God is. I wonder that the moment that he's having is maybe there are words that he would have remembered. Words such as this from Deuteronomy chapter 4. The Lord will scatter among you among the peoples. And only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you're in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. Or maybe he remembered words like this from Deuteronomy 31. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you. Or forsake you. What we're seeing, friends, in this moment is the faith of Ezra being displayed. His his faith, in a sense, is taking on flesh. What he professes of who God is now being displayed. And it is a risky thing, isn't it, that he's about to do. He's risking all for God alone. To be dependent on God alone. To be dependent on God's hand. So he seeks God. Actually, the language is pretty strong that he implores God. And that's displayed in the way that that he calls a fast. It's a beautiful picture of dependence because he's dependent by showing praying and also he's dependent through fasting. They're dependent on God to provide a way. They're dependent on God to provide for their needs. They're dependent on God and his hand to lead them. What a beautiful picture, friends, that is in front of us. Uh, I guess this morning what I want us to ask is, if you believe in the God of the Bible, where and how is God leading you to be more dependent on his truth and his promises? If you believe in the author of the Bible, do we trust that the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him? Or... Is our hearts being tempted to believe in the many truths and stories and constant narratives that are calling to us and wanting to capture our hearts? And friends, you and I, more than Ezra, are quite spoiled. In In that moment of history, the books that we're reading, what Ezra had was the first five books of the Bible we are even more spoiled, aren't we? We have the full story. The hand of our God is good on all who seek him. And the call to us, for those of us who know him, is to come and seek him. And ultimately, God would provide his word, which Ezra the priest set his heart to study and do and teach. That word is who? Jesus Christ, the word who became flesh. The one whose heart was perfectly committed to live out his father's purposes. The one who is willing to even have his father's hand lead him to the cross. The hands that were crucified on that cross for you and for me. The one who experienced, in a sense, the Father's, not in a sense, fully experienced the Father's wrath because of us forsaking him. Yeah, because he is God. On the third day he was raised again and now he sits on the right hand of the Father. The one who has all authority. The one who even to this day still calls us to seek him and he calls us to seek him in his very word. Friends, if we look at the lives of those in the New Testament that we read, their lives were marked by this reality. The Lord's hand still led them, and often to places they might not have wanted to go. But ultimately, deeper into knowing him through his word and his purposes, their lives were marked by faith. A faith that was just not just sitting back, but faith that was moved to action. So friends, firstly, the other thing is, if you do not know Jesus, here's the reality. The power of His wrath is on you. God's hand is against you. All the good works, all the being good citizen will not save you from a holy God. You need saving there's only one who can save you his name is jesus christ so would you consider him today would you come and seek him today cause of jesus because of christ and because we are in christ god's hand is on you and i and maybe in this season in this season of lockdown and particularly if you're in melbourne victoria His desire for you and I is to be captured afresh in our hearts towards His Word, not out of guilt, rather so that you and I may know Him more. And in order to do that, here are some suggestions: have a plan, have a time that you will commit to either reading, listening to His Word. That might be five minutes might be 15 minutes it might be half an hour it might be an hour whatever season of life you are that will determine the point is read God's word so that you get to know God more in this season in life we are so spoiled we can utilize many things you can listen to the word of God you can even watch the word of God utilize those things before you jump onto other things Share. On our church Facebook page, why don't you share what what do you use? What kind of reading plan do you use? What kind of devotional books do you use? Share with us. We'd love to share, and that's how we learn from each other. Fourthly, maybe commit to in this season with groups of you, whether if it's through Zoom or FaceTime or whatever it is, just reading a book of the Bible together. Maybe two in groups of two or three on, on Monday mornings, sorry, on Tuesday mornings. I have the great privilege to meet with a bunch of guys and we've been taking a very deliberately slow time through Psalm 119. It's been such a joy for me. Like I get so spoiled because I get to hear what God's doing and through his word. And so, yeah, maybe maybe it's some other friends. You can do that, just 10, 15 minutes. Just uh, one creative way might be if you're someone who's working from home online and maybe connect with someone else in our church who are also doing the same. And in your lunch break, move away from the screen and maybe read a bit of scripture together. And here are some extra tools that you might consider. There's plenty of things out there, but I just wanted to share two things with you that I've found deeply helpful in my own journey. Firstly, uh, is a book that is supplement to the Bible, is this one here. Uh, It's a new book by a guy called Matt Smithhurst. I don't know if I said his name right, but I found this really helpful. It's small and tiny, uh, and you can uh, order it wherever you want on any um, popular Christian bookstore. But he talks about before you open the Bible, nine heart postures for approaching God's word. You know, I found this deeply helpful because it it changed my thinking in a sense to go, why am I reading God's word? And it challenged me. It's very short. It's very quick. For those of us big readers, you'll finish it within a day or within an hour. Uh, Others, you can just take your time. It's not because i love the ESV for you alone, but there are these scripture journals. These are great little things that you can buy and, and you can actually write and put little notes next to it. Uh, so I'd encourage you to do that. And maybe even now, uh, the next preaching series that we're going to do is in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Why don't you go online and order a bunch of one of these for yourself and, and, and utilize this for your quiet times. Friends, maybe for those of us who know God, and particularly for those of us who call Canterbury home, May we be a people that are so dependent on the hand of God to move us towards his word so that we may know God, so that we may live out for his purposes. And if you don't know God, we pray that you will come to seek who he is through Jesus Christ. Friends, this is who our God is. pray that's been of encouragement to you. Would you join with me in prayer? Father in heaven, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are leading us to yourself even more in this season. May your hand guide us still today. And because of Christ, we know that is true for those of us who know you. And we thank you for the truth that your word is displayed beautifully in your son. And Jesus, you send us your helper. Holy Spirit, as the helper, would you change our hearts to view the word of God as a lifeline so that we may know God more. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Friends, thanks for joining us today.